Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard News. I'm Freddie Zayers. We've all heard stories of cancellations and enforced political viewpoints on university campuses, and obviously we can't cover them all. But once in a while, a story emerges that seems to reveal the inner workings of how today's thought police actually operate. Ilya Shapiro should have been a senior lecturer and executive director of Georgetown's Law Center for the Constitution. But he's not. His story all comes down to a single tweet. I want to go through it with him step by step to try to understand how power and censorship is operating in 2022. He joins us from Virginia. Hi, Dr. Shapiro. Hello, good to be with you. So let's just kind of go through in order what happened to you. It's, it's late January 2022. You've got this great job offer from Georgetown. You're planning to take up your post uh, later that year. And at the same time, President Joe Biden is in the midst of selecting a new Supreme Court justice, but he's doing it in a way that's a little bit different from previous selections because he's determined the race and gender of the successful candidate in advance. That's the background, right? That's exactly right. January 26th, uh, news of Justice Breyer's retirement leaks, I think uh, is kind of to, to force him to actually uh, take the plunge. Uh, I was on a plane to Austin, Texas when that broke. I landed and my phone was blowing up because I'm a Supreme Court commentator. Uh, and so I did some media hits, put out some statements, uh, then had some meetings, the purpose of my trip to, to, to Austin and went to a dinner to celebrate a friend's new job. Uh, came back to my hotel room and late at night did something that uh, I recommend nobody does, which is doom scroll through my phone to look at the latest uh, news on Twitter and got more and more upset about uh, uh, the president uh, limiting his pool of candidates for the Supreme Court by race and gender. He said, of course, that, that it would be a black woman uh, reiterating his campaign pledge. And so um, I kind of snarkily uh, and in what I, uh, you know, quickly admitted the, the next day when I realized things were blowing up uh, was not uh, was inartful. I, I tweeted the following uh, objectively best pick for Biden is Sri Srinivasan. That's a, he's a, uh, the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit, meaning the federal appellate court uh, in, in the capital, the second most important court in the country, uh, who is solid prog, meaning progressive, and V-smart, very smart. Uh, 
uh, you can see already the uh, the restrictions of Twitter already affecting how obviously one communicates on it. Uh, even his identity politics benefit of being first Asian (parentheses Indian American). He's an, an immigrant actually from 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 India, uh, but alas, doesn't fit into the latest intersectionality hierarchy. So we'll get lesser black woman. It's those three words that would get me into trouble that have <laughs> prompted this whole four and a half month long uh, news cycle and and imbroglio now. Uh, and then I conclude the tweet, thank heaven for small favors. Now, what I what I meant there, obviously, uh, was that, you know, I thought running through my head of all possible candidates that Judge Srinivasan, who had been on the shortlist for Barack Obama for the nomination that ultimately went to Merrick Garland, was the best pick. Uh, for a Democratic president, which meant by basic order of logic that everybody else on the entire planet was a worse pick or less qualified. And uh, given that Biden had restricted his search to uh, black women, that meant that we would end up with a less qualified than Srinivasan uh, black woman. Now, that was twisted. Uh, I went to bed. I tweeted that. I went to bed again. Not a best practice. Uh, woke up and everything had blown up my my ideological political enemies. Uh, were trying to get me fired, sicking the mob, the online mob on me. Uh, and so I quickly took down the tweet, said, uh, didn't mean to offend. I worded this poorly. Um, sorry. Why did you take it down? And what were you apologizing for? I'm sure you're used to being kind of questioned from the other direction. But ostensibly, to a lot of people, what you wrote seems perfectly reasonable. The underlying point certainly was 76% of Americans agreed uh, with the underlying point, according to a poll by that uh, right-wing organization, ABC News. Uh, that's sarcasm. ABC is one of the central networks in America. Uh, um, but I was trying to keep my job and not be a distraction from uh, the Center for the Constitution that I was poised to lead. Uh, I hadn't yet taken the job. Five days later, February 1st was when I was supposed to start the job. I was still at the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank where I'd been for nearly 15 years. And I took it down because uh, I'm in the communication business, uh, uh, written, oral, you know, media, uh, Supreme Court briefs, articles of various kinds. And that was uh, poor communication. Why? Why was it poor communication? Was it proved to be poor com communication because of the reaction it generated? So it's a kind of proven after the fact, or, or do you think it was poorly worded? What, what actually are you apologizing for about that tweet? No, no, I think it was poorly worded uh, in the sense that it, it uh, gave something uh, to, to those with uh, bad faith to grab onto and start smearing me and start smearing my center and, and all the rest of it. And it, I didn't want to get into that kind of debate over, you know, all of that. I mean, I'll just take it down. I'll rephrase my the standard commentary that I've long made, you know, against racial preferences, against treating people differently based on on immutable characteristics, uh, all of that. I didn't want the that tweet, which was not, you know, if I if I had been, you know, in a different format, if I was writing a blog post or an op ed, I, you know, I would have said, you know, I think Judge Srinivasan is the best pick, but he won't be considered because of the way that identity politics plays and the way that Joe Biden restricted his uh, uh, candidates. And so, you know, everybody in the universe uh, will will get a less qualified person. And since Biden has restricted in that way, we'll get a less qualified black woman than Judge Srinivasan. I would have, you know, put it in some sort of terms like that. I want to progress down the story, I promise. We're not going to be stuck on this moment forever. But I do think it's really interesting because actually you notice that there's a lot that it's almost the, the point has been conceded by people in your position as you were then, that if you if a furore 
eventuates after you've put out a statement, then by definition, there was something wrong with your statement uh, because it was bad communications and you gave you know, red meat to the enemy or whatever. And so there's, there's this now tradition of people saying, I don't want to be a distraction and therefore I will apologize and retract. I, I mean, I wonder in retrospect, since you're not even connected to the center anymore, is there an argument for saying you shouldn't have retracted it and you should have just stuck to your guns and said, look, it's quite clear what I mean. If people in bad faith want to misinterpret it, that's not my business. Based on my understanding of what was going on behind the scenes at Georgetown, I think if I hadn't uh, retracted it and uh, sent out a, a short statement to, that was blasted out to the faculty, uh, that I probably would have been fired right then. Uh, and my goal uh, was to keep my job. I mean, notice I didn't withdraw. I didn't, you know, bend the knee to, uh, you know, woke ideology or anything. I just said, look, this uh, this was badly worded, and sorry for that. Um, and and so what happened is that after those four days of hell, essentially, the, the day it broke was one of the worst days of my life, and it lasted a few days. And then the dean announced that I would indeed be onboarded on February first. Uh, but immediately placed on paid administrative leave pending investigation into this tweet and whether it violated university policies on uh, anti-harassment and, and anti-discrimination. And then, uh, so four days of hell were then followed by four months of purgatory while they so-called investigated the tweet. Really bizarre because, you know, as lawyers, you apply law to facts to figure something out. The facts were indisputed. It was the short tweet. The law, university policies are indisputed, pretty short, pretty clear. Uh, and yet it took them four months. And at the end of this, this is last week now on Thursday, uh, they, they, the dean cleared me or reinstated me. Why? Because of the free speech policy or because what I did wasn't actually harassment? No, no. Because somebody looked at a calendar and uh, realized that I had not been an employee when I tweeted and so was not subject to these policies. But implying strongly, both in the statement the dean issued and the report I later got uh, uh, from the diversity bureaucrats, uh, that uh, a future such statement would create a hostile educational environment. And clearly at that point, I'd be disciplined. So who actually conducted the internal investigation? It were the offices of uh, human resources and uh, uh, inclusion, diversity, equity, and affirmative action, the IDEAA, kind of an Orwellian moniker. What is that? It, is it who constitutes such an office? Since when do universities have that body? And since when does that body have power to remove faculty? Who are these people? It's basically HR on steroids, uh, leavened with, with woke ideology and identity politics. It's, um, these things started cropping up, uh, I don't know, within the last decade. Before then, there was just, you know, people, you know, officers in HR who looked at discrimination and harassment claims. But now it's this whole um, structure, this whole uh, uh, ideological, um, I don't know, metastasis that has been growing and growing and, and accelerating the growth of these places is just, you know, Georgetown has, I don't know how many dozens of uh, diversocrats uh, in this office and related office. There's Title IX, uh, which it refers to a part of the U.S. Code uh, about uh, uh, gender equality. And so there are Title IX officers separately from this IDAA. Uh, Georgetown is really, it turns out, a leader uh, on the leading, on the bleeding edge of uh, having these uh, inquisitors that are, are looking to make sure that nobody is uh, saying something or doing something that's, that's politically correct in, in, in the context of a identity politics valence. So have you even been into campus since this event? During my uh, 
paid leave during while I was suspended, I was not allowed on campus because that would you know make pe- that would make people feel unsafe. You've actually never been to Georgetown as a employee. That's correct. I was given special dispensation to attend a one-week seminar in the second last week of my suspension after the students had left campus after graduation. There was a seminar that was part of my center that I was allowed to attend uh, in my personal capacity. So I, you know, I, I was still uh, on leave, uh, but I was there on campus. But since I was reinstated on Thursday, no, I, I did not go. So it would be kind of interesting to know who the Office for Diversity, Equity and Affirmative Action actually is. Do you think they have a physical office in the building? How many people are on this body? Are they drawn from faculty? Are they, you know, if I want to apply to join this office, what degree do I need to get? What's the career path look like? They're, they're hiring. They're constantly hiring because, you know, the, the demand for racism outstrips the supply. So they have to hire these bureaucrats to manufacture outrage. I don't know how many of them there are. Two of them interviewed me. So during this process, early on, back in February, uh, uh, I think the head of HR, or maybe the, the vice president of HR for diversity or something, uh, which is separate from IDAA, uh, 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 interviewed me. Um, and then I submitted a written written statement. And what was he or she like? I mean, are they, they're not drawn from faculty around the university then, they're specifically dedicated to this cause. What was that conversation like? Yeah, so there were three people, one from HR, two from IDAA. Um, they, I mean, there, again, there's not much to investigate. So most of it was variations on what did you mean by this tweet and tell us more about the context surrounding your decision to tweet. I mean, it's, it's kind of farcical. It's like a Monty Python sketch or something. So let's fast forward to the next phase. So the dean of Georgetown Law Center, uh, William M. Trina, he then issues a statement, which I can read out some of. He says, his tweets could be reasonably understood and were in fact understood by many to disparage any black woman the president might nominate. As I wrote at the time, Mr. Shapiro's tweets are antithetical to the work that we do at Georgetown Law to build inclusion, belonging, and respect for diversity. They have been harmful to many in the Georgetown Law community and beyond. There's quite a lot in that statement, I would say. Um, What was your reaction to it? My reaction to uh, that statement that you read out from last Thursday, which was after I met with him, when he told me that I was being reinstated on the technicality that... uh, Oh, I wasn't an employee at the time. Uh, it was disturbing. It didn't sit well with me. So, you know, I, I took to the pages of the Wall Street Journal to celebrate my technical victory. Uh, but uh, there was, as I said at the outset, there was no indication that uh, the free speech policy was uh, was being enforced or, or vindicated. And to the contrary, um, you know, there'd be more uh, 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 implicit bias and and discrimination training for all senior staff, not just me. Uh, I would I was being asked to meet with uh, any students who were uh, concerned, uh, you know, other things like that. It was it was not a ringing endorsement. You know, despite his telling me that he wants me to succeed, he'll have my back. Um, it was not a ringing endorsement, and so in the ensuing days, um, the I got the report from the IDAA office, uh, which dropped in my inbox, you know, several hours later, later that afternoon, and it took me a, a little bit to digest it with the help of counsel and my wife, uh, who's a better lawyer than than any of us, uh, and came to the conclusion around. Saturday- 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Saturday morning that uh, this was not going to be tenable, that they were setting me up for a fall, that uh, any time I, you know, did my job by commenting on Supreme Court opinions, teaching a class on sensitive issues, and someone, anyone felt or claimed offense or discomfort, uh, that would be it. That would trigger the the uh, hostile uh, educational environment, uh, and and that would be it. Uh, uh, constitutional lawyers call that a heckler's veto uh, on on speech, and so I could not, I could neither walk on eggshells, uh, uh, trying to avoid inadvertent offense, nor could I uh, wait for that second shoe to drop and and get again suspended and fired and disciplined and and what have you. So I decided to go out on my own terms. Uh, noisily with that four-page letter, um, which I worked hard on over the weekend, detailing exactly uh, where Georgetown's policies and their application failed. And it should be said, you got another job you have announced today. You're now going to work for the Manhattan Institute. So uh, to those people who think cancelese complaining is a bit of a joke and they always seem to do well, they will enjoy the fact that you've now got a, a nice new position in the Manhattan Institute. Tell us about that and what would you say to them? One thing I've learned, there are many lessons. I'm, of course, pro still processing this whole experience, this, this lived experience, as it were. Um, one of the lessons is that uh, they can't really cancel you if you refuse to be canceled. Uh, and I took the mindset, you know, regardless of the 
the, the, the parlor game over, you know, should I have apologized? Should I have not? You know, the standard, the standard uh, advice now is never apologize. But for reasons that we don't need to get into, I still think that, you know, that, that limited uh, uh, apology that I, that I issued, I think still served me well. Uh, but uh, eventually I kept talking, I kept writing, I kept doing speeches, one of which was completely shut down and protested in San Francisco uh, March 1st, which made me the subject of another news cycle. Um, uh, but I, I didn't back down. And I did not withdraw and I did not go meekly. I did not issue further apologies or, or you know, sign statements uh, pledging to uphold the uh, DEI, diversity, equity, uh, inclusion uh, mantra or anything like that. You have ended up fine, but arguably the institution is the poorer for this experience because you, they thought you were the best person for this position in Georgetown Law. You're no longer there. You, you, you resigned. And clearly there will be a ripple effect. For anyone who comes from a, I guess you would call yourself conservative or centre-right, libertarian background, applying to these kind of institutions will now think twice because I guess their, their, their future is a lot less certain. So surely the effect will be to entrench the politics of these places and make them even more pure. And as for people who don't sign up to some of those politics, I, I don't know where they go. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, what I'm hoping to do is levy enough pressure on, on Georgetown and other institutions that, you know, some administrators will think twice uh, in the background. Uh, and, and you know, they don't want uh, fewer applicants, fewer students, you know, forget the woke mob, you know, most students are not activists of one kind or another, especially at a law school, they just want to get their diploma, get their credential, get a good job. And they just, you know, uh, follow the path of least resistance, don't want to get anything controversial. Uh, and it's those kinds of students that at the margins, I think, will have fewer applicants of. And that that could hurt Georgetown. Um, but, you know, that's the point to 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 pressure them to show that these policies, these illiberal trends that they're uh, facilitating uh, have consequences. And so that is my whole point of being on this weird media tour that I've been on these last two days. Uh, to shine the light for people who either aren't paying attention or think that there are isolated incidents on the rot uh, uh, in academia. And by the way, just to close the loop on, on, on myself, I'm fine in terms of I get a good job, I get you know, uh, uh, media interviewing me or whatever, but you know, my reputation is very different now than it was five months ago. And you know, if you Google me a year from now, there's always going to be this stuff about the tweet and the scandal and you know, is he racist and, and all of this sort of thing. So um, you know, in a certain sense, I'm, I'm making out. I'm making out well, but it's it's certainly uh, significantly changed my my reputation uh, and career arc. Uh, which you know, who knows where whether in the end that uh, that that will all uh, have been worth it. But but again, um, uh, this the last uh, five months were tremendously challenging and taxing on on me and my family. If we just put that statement from William Trina back on the screen. Um, there's two components in it that I thought we could look at. The first is in the first half. He says, his tweets could be reasonably understood and were in fact understood by many to disparage any black woman the president might nominate. Clearly, as you've explained, you didn't intend that effect. You didn't intend to disparage anybody. You were saying that, uh, as you've explained, any candidate other than the best candidate would be lesser. But the implication of his wording here is that the fact that they were understood in that way means that they should be interpreted in that way. So in fact, the, 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 the readers of, of any kind of public statement have a certain amount of control over 
how that statement should be interpreted. It feels like there's a kind of philosophical river that we'd cross to get there. Where if, if that's and, and, and in a way, that's what I was asking about in the beginning, whether with your retraction, do you, do you think we should allow that? Do you think we should concede the idea that those people reading or interpreting statements, if they are offended by it, that means that the statement was offensive? Absolutely not. And that's that's what I meant by a heckler's veto. Um, as I as I put in my resignation letter, I think it's actually unreasonable and in extreme bad faith to read it in, in a way that... Uh, has a bigoted point. Um, I, and I think further that uh, a lot of people spread the tweet. I wasn't the one spreading the tweet. People were screen capping it and, and, and dispersing it further to generate uh, outrage. I'm not sure how many people actually were genuinely uh, offended or, or what have you. It's, it's um, you know, kind of a, a gamesmanship to, uh, to create um, an attack, uh, to use this tool that I had given them with with inartful uh, phrasing uh, to, um, you know, to, to promote their, their agenda. Um, but yeah, that, that's not, it's not a good thing. It's not a good, I'm, I don't think I was conceding that it was, I, I never conceded that it was a reasonable way of reading it or, or, or what have you. So the other um, aspect of his statement here, he says, as I wrote at the time, Mr. Shapiro's tweets are antithetical to the work that we do. They have been harmful to many in the Georgetown law community and beyond. You hear this a lot as well. They have been harmful to many. I, I just, I'm thinking here, who have they been harmful to and what does that harm look like? And how can the dean of a law school make that statement unchallenged? It's, it's imaginary harm, isn't it? It's, um, it's offense. It's, uh, your feelings are hurt. That's basically what it is. And, the, and the, the report I got from the diversocrats backs that up and basically says anytime someone's feelings are hurt, uh, that subjects you to to discipline. Um, it's that's why I wrote that uh, uh, the dean and the university bureaucracy have implicitly repealed their very well stated and well taken uh, uh, speech and expression policy because effectively it's you have the freedom to speak unless someone's offended by that speech, uh, which is no freedom uh, at all. And, and I should say, you know, that again, the policy is the speech policy is very well taken, but it's it's proven to be a a parchment or a pixel barrier. Um, because what's being enforced is this rigid uh, orthodoxy where, um, you know, you can't even tolerate uh, inadvertent offense. Uh, why? Uh, because of the underlying perspective comes from a non-progressive orientation. And I further detail in my resignation letter that on top of the problems with the reading of the tweet, the standards that are being applied in terms of harassment and free speech, uh, they're not even uh, being uh, applied or enforced uh, uh, evenly depending on uh, where the speaker is coming from. And I detail several much more inflammatory so-called harmful tweets from other uh, law professors and, and, and main campus professors that were not investigated, were not punished, and shouldn't have been. Uh, but it's free speech for thee and not for me. Let's end where we started, which is actually on the substance of the issue that you were tweeting about. I mean, you can see behind you, you've written a book about the politics of the Supreme Court. This is your area of expertise. That's why they hired you and that's why you were tweeting about it. So what, what is the case there for why this is a bad idea? Because, you know, my progressive friends in the US would say there is a very large pool of very skilled and talented African-American female jurists, therefore What's the problem? Let's let's redress a, a historical, you know, absence and let's fix it. 
And that's the case they make. And I'm sure the candidate they have chosen is extremely talented and good person. I'm sure she'll do a great job. What's the problem with it? She's definitely qualified. All of the shortlisters were qualified uh, to be on the, on the Supreme Court. The problem is announcing at the beginning your uh, criteria by, by race and sex, by immutable characteristics. If Joe Biden had simply gone about his uh, selection process and ended up with Judge Jackson, now Justice-designate Jackson, and said, this is the best person, she's wonderful in all these ways, no, no problem, no problem. You know, there's, politics has always played a role in the selection of, of uh, justices, judges, other high officials in different ways over our history. Uh, and so uh, if he wants to provide that representational pick, uh, as you know, part of a you know political calculus or what or what have you, uh, you know we we can have a parlor game debate about who the best candidate might be, but if he had done it that way, uh, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. So actually, his mistake was saying the quiet part out loud, in a sense. If he hadn't said that out loud, there would be no asterisk, at least for people in good faith. But yeah, I mean, it's just a sordid business, uh, as as Chief Justice John Roberts put it in in a case about 15 years ago about school busing by, 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 by race. He said it's a sordid business, this divvying us up by race. And it really is. Um, I think uh, as there is less actual racism in the country uh, with each passing year, there's uh, you know, more inflammation of racial tensions by actions like this from uh, public officials and uh, cultural influencers. Could you conclude for us by saying how serious you think the situation is? Because a lot of critics of a show like this or articles you have written will say this is making a lot of noise about something that isn't very widespread, isn't a real problem, and the net effect is better, and therefore it's all propaganda for the right in some way. Do you think it is a serious problem about justice and about the whole underpinnings of the state? Or how serious do you think it is? Well, for academia, I mean, it's, it's, there's a rot, there's a rot. It's, um, uh, this, uh, DEI ideology, uh, has undermined intellectual diversity, equal opportunity, um, tolerance of dissenting voices, uh, the basic educational mission of seeking truth and engaging with ideas, uh, in a civil, uh, manner, um, you know, going back to the earliest universities, um, so there's in academia, it's it's very it's a tough situation. You know, the Georgetown faculty, Georgetown law faculty, about 150 people. There are three and a half non-progressive, something like that, uh, and there are schools where the ratio is even worse. So that's academia. In our broader society, um, you know, we've seen a polarization. We've seen a trend where. Uh, there's a decline in social trust, and there's a feeling that your political opponents aren't merely wrong, but evil. Uh, there's a decline in grace that, you know, any screw up is evidence of that evil rather than just, well, they're human and fallible. Um, but I think in the in the broader culture, there there is starting maybe, I don't know if the pendulum is swinging back, but at least there's there's green shoots. Um, so, you know, Netflix said, if you're offended by some of our programming, maybe this isn't the place for you. Uh, uh, State Farm, you know, some corporations are, are kind of changing their tune uh, in, in large part, or at least in some part, after Ron DeSantis in Florida 
uh, punish Disney for stances that 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 it took uh, uh, in responding to to uh, one of his policies. Uh, so we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, I. I am not optimistic about academia. I am cautiously optimistic about broader society. Ilya Shapiro, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks to Ilya Shapiro, a lecturer in constitutional law and an expert on the Supreme Court who was going to be at Georgetown but is no longer, thanks to a single tweet about President Joe Biden's selection of his Supreme Court justice on the basis of race and gender. Some people will watch that interview and think, so what? He's fine. What's the big deal? But institutions like top universities are educating the next generation and they hold huge sway in how our societies are governed. So if there is a rot, as he described it, it should worry us all. And by the way, if you are watching this and are a member of the mysterious Georgetown Office of Diversity, Equity and Affirmative Action, and want to defend your organization, get in touch. We would love to have you on as part of Unheard's Diversity of Opinion initiative. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard News. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.